What have you asked yourself? What's the point of my life? What am I here for? From the time we're born, we're fed the story that life is random, a product of chance. But if that's true, why do we long for so much more? Why does it seem like the human soul is made for meaning, designed for direction? Here's why. God created you on purpose for a purpose, and you are empowered for a specific focus in a particular place among certain people. Let's explore how you are wired by God. Oh, good morning, Rise. How you doing? Oh, I love it. I love it. Love gathering together with the church, opening the word together. So we are in this series uh, called Wired. And uh, here's kind of where we've gone. If you're just joining us and if you've been with us, uh, here's a little bit of a reminder. Um, We've gone through this process so far where we looked at how God has created you and how being made in the image of God, we are are reflectors of him. And so we are to reflect his image within us. God created you on purpose for a purpose. You want to go and pull those up uh, as, as we kind of go through them, on purpose for a purpose. And so with this idea that you are knit together in your mother's womb, specifically you, God, did, you're not an accident, you're not a computer made of meat, you are formed in the image of God and you have deep purpose. And last week, Nolan uh, talked through this idea of, of that, that you are empowered, Okay, so you can go ahead and keep that up there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work my way through it. Uh, you are empowered. And so uh, this idea that, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are gifted by the Holy Spirit, and we, are, we have spiritual gifts. And so we're exploring what that looks like. And this week, um, we're going into this idea for a specific focus. What does that, all these areas are building, they're building and building towards a specific focus, and a specific focus in this idea of our purpose and calling being expressed in our work. Like, like we want to have a biblical, theological understanding of our work. Lori Beth Jones, in her brilliant book, The Path, around uh, calling and figuring out your calling, this is, this is what she writes. She says, a calling, in essence, is a written down reason for being. Jesus' mission helped him decide how to act, what to do, and even what to say when challenging situations arose. Clarity is power. Once you are clear about what you were put here to do, then jobs, work, become only a means towards accomplishing your mission, not an end in themselves, okay? And so work is deeply tied to our identity and who we are. Uh, And so kind of the question I have right off the bat is, so like, why are we so dissatisfied in work? Like, why why is work so so frustrating? Well, a few reasons, okay? Um, uh, The first is we work for an unhealthy organization. Uh, You're going to be deeply dissatisfied if you work for an unhealthy organization. Some of you guys are like, yeah, that's my job. That's literally, and some of you guys are like self-employed, and you're like, yeah, like I work for an unhealthy organization, right? You know? And, and, but we're going to talk through understanding a theology of work. We're going to talk through calling, but I want to just say this right off the bat, that you could be doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And you can be doing it with purpose and meaning and significance, but if you're doing it in an incredibly unhealthy context, you are going to have a level of dissatisfaction and, dis- and discontentment. I- I've heard it said that people don't quit jobs, they quit bosses, right? And so if, if, you're, if you're in this environment where like, man, why do I, like, why do I hate 
you know, why do I hate what I'm doing? It, it, there could be a level of unhealth there. And we're actually seeing, um, they're labeling this season that we're in right now as the great resignation uh, because there's this massive shift and shuffling of people in j- work and jobs. And so uh, for us right now to have a biblical view of work, a theology of vocation is incredibly important and to help kind of dig out our calling. The second reason we may be dissatisfied is that we have a flawed understanding of work and vocation. Uh, maybe we just don't understand uh, how God created it and formed it. And so we could be on one of two extremes. One could be the extreme of idealism, where we're like, no, 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 there, there's, that, there's this perfect job out there that will have no flaws, and as soon as I, and they're going to pay me six figures, and they're going to appreciate me, and, I, and I'm going to be able to work from home, and they're going to babysit my toddlers while I work from home, and it's just going to be amazing. Like, the problem is, the, the fall, like there is, a, there is a curse. There are thorns and thistles in all kinds of work. And so idealism, you're going to have this level of like dissatisfaction. But on the other side, there could be, you know, you could be marked by cynicism where you're like, no, no, no. like work has no meaning. It's just a paycheck. And I just need to, I just need to get through till retirement and then I can start enjoying my life. That is no way to live the primary years of your life. And so both of those are, are flawed ways of looking at work and, and will lead to dissatisfaction. Um, and then the third is we are doing something that we aren't wired for. That, that may be a reason that you're completely dissatisfied. Like imagine spending the majority of your time during your week operating out of your weaknesses, things that cause you stress, things that, that are just a burden, okay? Now, so he, here's what we're going to talk through today. Now, uh, uh, full disclosure, sorry, I can't help with the first one. <laughs> I just can't. Like, we're, we're, if, if you are working for an unhealthy organization, time to move on, right? Time to move on. And if that organization is you, welcome to church, okay? So, <laughs> but I think as we look through and explore this idea of wiring and explore the scriptures, um, we can reframe the way we think about work and vocation and we can start to understand how we are wired and what we are actually called for. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Let's start with a theology of work. And um, just a little context before I go through this. If this, is, if this is really valuable and important to you, if you're finding yourself wrestling through um, the time you spend working and how you feel about work, I actually want to um, point you to two books to maybe dive a little bit deeper um, one is called Every Good Endeavor uh, by Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors and theologians. And this book is just absolutely brilliant. Um, you could, I found it on this, this website called Amazon, or however you say it. And it's a great site. They'll, they'll deliver it into your living room within two days. It's like amazing. Um, and so, uh, and then the other is Garden City um, by a local um, you know, pastor theologian, John Mark Homer, here in Portland. Um, and this book is incredible as well. Um, we have uh, 40, 50 50 copies of it in our bookstore. You can grab it on the way out. But I just encourage you, like, don't let this just, if, if, there's, if, if we're tapping into something deep in you today, um, don't let this be something that you just kind of move on from quickly, but you actually explore a little bit deeper. So l- let's get a biblical theology of work. Just, just four things I want to point out. First, uh, work is good. And, and we looked at this 
a little bit the first week of being created in God's image. But it's important for us to understand that this is not just, work is not just some happenstance, some byproduct. It is actually good. It is part of who we are. And Jesus even says in John 5, he says, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I too am working. And so part of work is a way we reflect God. We're created in God's image. And so the foundation of it, work comes before the fall. And work doesn't end at the end of your life. Now, some of you guys may feel burdened by that, but that's because you have like this, we have a really poor understanding of eternity. Um, we think we're all gonna like wear diapers and float on clouds and play harps, right? That's not eternity. Like uh, eternity is a restoration. Heaven is a restoration of this world. And, and I heard one theologian say, uh, the only people, uh, like we, we will have work. Like we will get to participate in ruling and reigning in the new kingdom. We will get to participate with the Trinity in this beautiful, significant way. And the only people whose jobs will be exnate are pastors. They're not needed anymore because you just hang with Jesus, right? You know? And so like, I'm going to get new job training, but all the rest of us, like we're going to move forward in what we bring. And so work is good. So we need that perspective. Second, um, work is, it's a part of our identity and our dignity. It's foundational to what it means to be human. And again, look at Genesis 1.26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. That is our foundational moment, our creation moment as humans. And we're created in God's image for a purpose. And what is that purpose? That we would rule that we would partner together with him in this endeavor. And so what are we doing? What is our work? It's moving creation forward. It's bringing order out of chaos, just like God brought order out of chaos. It's creatively building civilization out of raw material and human nature. It's caring for all that God has made. Work is a basic human need. It's as foundational as food and beauty and rest and friendship and prayer and sexuality. It's part of what it means to be human. There's this movement within kind of my generation, you know, the 20 to 30-year-olds, and we're like, man, like, we're all just going to retire in the next three years. It's going to be amazing. We're just, like, developing all this side passive income, and we're just going to, like, sit by the river, right? Okay, and you're going to do that, and I'm actually for that. Like, develop those side passive incomes. Go for it. But after, like, 10 days, come talk to me, okay? Because you're like, man, this van, van down by the river thing is not all it was lived up to be, right? Like, I am bored. And then you're going to move to the next city. You're like, I just need different beauty. And at some point, you're going to be like, actually, I'm created to work. Like, I, I, need to, I need to till the soil. I need to have meaning and significance, okay? And we go around, we say these cute little things like, no, man, you're a human being, not a human doing, right? Okay, well, this, like, human being needs to pay rent. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Okay, so like we just need to get this out of our, like out of the system and understand, no, work is good and work is part of our identity. It carries through to eternity. Third, um, all work is a sacred entrustment, okay? Now I'm like making up phrases here, but, but track with me, okay? Uh, two things, two elements of this is I actually want you to see that all work is sacred and, and second, it's an entrustment of the Lord, okay? Uh, so my daughter... 
was drawing this, uh, she always draws pictures of our family, and uh, she was drawing pictures of what we were all thinking about, because um, that's like what we're passionate about. And so um, she draw, you know, she, she has me and little thought bubble, and she draws this cute little like manger scene with like baby Jesus. And I'm like, no, but what, what's daddy thinking about? She's like, you think about Jesus. You like to talk about Jesus. And, and I'm like, oh, you're, like, you got it. Good job. Like, and uh, I'm like, and I'm kind of trying to figure out what, what her mom is thinking about, you know? And I'm like, I'm like, what is that picture? She goes, oh, mom's thinking about vacuuming, <laughs> right? And just gets this look, which, okay, but here's the thing, okay? If you know my wife, you know that she is actually a brilliant designer, okay? So she, like, basically, she designed the basic layout of this church, she, she designed every square inch of our home. And she doesn't just like draw things on paper. She is the one, like when we were, you know, when we're um, building this church, I, I kid you not, like I'm, I'm sitting here with like my, you know, my, my, my Bible and notebook, like take, well, where, where do we go and how do we, you know, get this going? And she's, in, she's operating heavy equipment with like the construction guys, right? That's not an exaggeration, okay? You can ask them. And like that, that's who she is and that's what she loves doing. She loves designing and, and, and innovating and, and all these things. Now, here's what I need you to see and what we need to understand. In the kingdom of God, there is not vocations that are more valuable than others. In the church, um, the person who stands on the 18-inch stage, um, they like to make themselves feel really important, so they try to create this culture of like, well, what I do is really important, you know? You got to listen to me while I talk, but, and what you do, you know, at, you know, the peasants, you go and, you know, you get the work of the church. Like that, no, that is not the kingdom. Like, we are all participating with God. We are all participating with God in moving humanity forward. It's significant that we do not overvalue or undervalue one part of the body of Christ. And it is significant that we do not overvalue or undervalue a certain vocation or career. All, are a, all work is a sacred entrustment, with the exception being anything that destroys creation or degrades humanity. But outside of that, like in the kingdom of God, a plumber is not less valuable than a pastor, okay? Like, trust me, like, I want my toilets to flush, right? <laughs> and, and you want my toilets to flush. Like, this, this matters in moving humanity forward. Now, look at Genesis 2.15. I want you to see this. It says, the Lord God took the man, and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to watch over it. God is saying, this is my garden, and I'm entrusting it to you. There's raw material, there, there's, there's wildness, and I want you to make something of it. I want you to work it, and I want you to watch over it. And this is essentially what all work is. It's a sacred entrustment. As Tim Keller says in that book, Every Good Endeavor, he says, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. Okay, now, now I, I want to take a, just a few fields of this so you can see how this works and how this fleshes out. Uh, let's, say, let's say you're a builder or a tradesman of, 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 of any kind. You, you work in the trades of any kind. What do you do? You take the raw material of iron and wood and you draw out its potential that it would become buildings and homes and churches and third spaces. Does this matter to our society? You better believe it does. We, these are homes we live in. 
These are churches we gather in. These are coffee shops we sit and, and make memories within. And so you, you're taking the raw material and you're forming it. What do teachers do? They, they are entrusted with the raw, unformed minds of little humans, and they form them into knowledgeable, contributing members of society. I heard one comedian recently, he's like talking about, you know, what teachers do, and he was just talking about this idea of like, yeah, you, you make kids learn math. Do they want to learn math? No, but you make these kids who don't want to learn math learn math. Like, it's incredible. Like, teachers, you're amazing. You take the raw material of humanity and you, you, you form them into adulting humans, right? Uh, entrepreneurs, what do entrepreneurs do? They take the raw materials of people and problems and they design solutions through a product or a system or a healthy organization, right? What, do a, what about stay-at-home moms? What do they do? Well, they just do all of the above, right? Yeah plus chef, plus mental health counselor, plus bed and breakfast manager, plus personal stylist and fashion curator, and sometimes on weekends, hostage negotiator, right? Moms, you're amazing, right? All of this works together. Like, it's a sacred entrustment. We need to see that, that our work matters. It is not small and meaningless, and there's not like, oh, I, I need to go do that job because it contributes in a more significant way to the kingdom. Like, no, you, the role that you play, um, it, it matters. And, and lastly, this idea that work is how we partner with God in moving humanity forward. So God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Part of the blessing is that we get to partner with God. And, and what? In moving humanity forward. I love what theologian C.S. Lewis says. He says, God seems to do nothing of himself, which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. You know why? Because God did not want a domain to dominate. He wanted a people to partner with. That's who we are. We're, we're his partners. And yes, we have flaws and we don't do it perfectly, but, but he wants us to move forward in these things. And so our work, it's how we partner together with him in bringing forth his kingdom on earth. And so we need this theological perspective. Like when you go to work tomorrow, you're not just an employee or a manager or owner, you are a partner with the triune God of the universe in taking the human project forward. You're not just a tradesman working long hours to wire a house or plumb a sink or remodel a kitchen. Like you're cultivating the earth. You're drawing out its potential. You're reshaping the world into an environment in which we can live the way that God intended you're not just a student going into class or a door dasher picking up the next meal or a developer coding a new website or a barista pulling a shot or an architect working through AutoCAD or an Amazon driver delivering the next order or an entrepreneur working out some kind of crazy idea. You are partnering with God in moving this world forward. This world is, this is what's left of Eden. You realize that, right? And, and, and God has entrusted this, this world to us and, and society to us that we would work it and care for it and rule it and subdue it and wrestle and fight and explore and take his creation project forward. And this is the theological perspective that we need of our work. Okay, so now 
But like, what if we still don't feel a deep level of satisfaction? Like what, what if we begin to understand that and we still are like something is off? Like the truth is there's, there's a good chance because it's, we lack clarity over our wiring and our calling. And, and so how do we do that? How do we move forward and how do we gain clarity in our purpose? Well, that's what this series is. That, that you would see how you are wired, how you are shaped, how God has molded you, prepared you, gifted you to walk in all that he has for you. And, and one of the reasons we don't live our calling is because um, we have settled for a lie and we, we have lived after these false identities. And, and, and so I want to kind of move through these Ideas, And I think this is important for us to see some of the false identities that keep us from living for, for our calling. Um, here's the first one. Um, the false identity is the me that I wish I was. I call this the imitation of success. Um, we, we look around at other people and we say, why am I not like her? Why don't I have a job like him? Why? Wh- if I could just talk that way, if I could just write that way, if I could just build that way, if I could just design that way. And, and look, it's important for us to look at others and learn from them. It is, especially their character, the way they think, the way they process, but we do not photocopy their calling. You cannot, like, if you're more than 12, you realize this by now, but you cannot be anything you want to be, right? <laughs> Like I was convinced I was going to play in the NBA and I was 18 inches of stage short, right? You can, there are limitations and limitations sometimes are a good thing, but this, but you can be all that God has created you to be. And he has a unique wiring within you. But the problem is you get so distracted trying to fulfill someone else's calling that you're not fulfilling yours. This is why you feel a deep level of dissatisfaction in your life. Um, we were into COVID and uh, like it was that season where you just like got tired of like, like, can I go to the grocery store? Like, can I not? Like, we have enough to survive here. Like, and you know, we had enough food, but one of the things I kind of started to run low on was deodorant. Um, and uh, some of you guys just gave me this, like, this is a year ago, okay? I've moved, like, I've moved through this. But um, it was that, I, I reached that point where you, like, you start to see, like, the mesh, that plastic mesh at the top, you know what I'm talking about? You just, like, start scraping your arms, like, but you're like, oh, this is good enough. Like, and, and, well, I was, like, four days past that point, and I was, <laughs> all right, this is my confessions, Usher. Okay, so uh, we... But I was preaching that day, and I sweat a lot when I preach, and I was like, man, I need to be kind to this church. And so um, I, I, I pulled my wife's drawer open. I saw her deodorant. I said, strong enough for a man, but made for a woman. I'm like, so why not use it, right? You know what I'm saying? So I put it on. And, uh, and all, I kid you not, all day long, I was like, constantly thrown off. I'm like, what? Like, what is that smell? Like, what's happened? Like, like, I'm like, oh, that smell is me. Like, I'm beautiful today, right? 
I am fabulous, right? And like when my wife wears it, I love it. I'm like, oh man, I just like give her a hug and I and like smells like her, right? When I wear it, like I'm just like, I just can't. I was like wanted to crawl out of my skin. Like I don't want to be beautiful, you know? Like this is not where I'm at. Like this is, I'm on, I, I was literally uncomfortable all day. Like as I was, you know, as I'm wearing, you know, secret or whatever it was, or, you know, whatever it was. And so many times, you know why we are uncomfortable with our life is because we're wearing somebody else's calling, right? Like, like you're trying to put on somebody else's scent and wondering why it feels off. This is the same thing. This is the imitation of success. And so we need to realize, we need to recognize this, that you can only be who God made you to be. Stop trying to wish that you were some other way. Stop criticizing God's beautiful, good creation and receive your flaws as, as beauty marks that God has put in your, in your personality, in your nature, um, and actually live your calling. Here's a second false identity. Um, th- this is the me that others want me to be. And I would call this living the expectations of others. Um, where does this come from for most of us? Uh, for most of us, this comes from like our family of origin. And we, we have a mom or dad or maybe a, you know, a grandparent, uncle, maybe a coach early on or a teacher um, that wanted us, that had expectations of us that were outside of who we are. And um, you've been trying to live up to it ever since. And you're striving after and fighting after things. My, my, my son, Dax, um, so like when I was in middle school, high school, I was obsessed with sports. Like I loved sports and I was uh, decently athletic and it just was my life constantly. And so uh, when my wife and I had our son Dax, I was like, this is going to be amazing. Like he is going to be this little athlete. Um, He's not, (laughs) he's actually terrible at sports and he has zero interest in sports. You know what he likes? He likes animals. Yeah, like animal creatures of all kinds. Like he does not want to play basketball. He wants to l- turn over rocks. Like that's what he wants to do. Like and and like at first, like this was like this major disappointment where I was like, dang man, like I thought I was getting Steph Curry and I got Steve Irwin. You know, <laughs> right? Like this is a whole different ball game. And so now, like. Like, seriously, he loves creatures. Like, I, I was walking in our backyard this summer, and, I, and, and Dax said he, he found a dead bird. And so, like, he buried it and put a tombstone over it and wrote on this little tombstone, here lies a happy bird, right? Like, he just loves, he just loves creatures. And so, and like, now he's, he's kind of moved into this new phase um, where he's, like, into drawing maps and writing poems. Um, he has an ink and a quill. He writes, he's eight years old. He writes in cursive, like he loves calligraphy. Like this, you, you walk in his room right now and the entire floor is covered, yes, in ink spots, but also like these maps and these, these poems he writes, right? Now, what is my job? I'm his dad. Like my job is not to be his creator and to formulate his personality and his gifting, his wiring. That's his father's job. My job is to cultivate it. And if I do a good job, I embrace those parts of who he is and I draw them out and, and I love him for who he is. Um, here's the problem. 
a lot of our parents did a really b- bad job at that. Am I right? And so we're, we're, we're still making decisions, trying to please, trying to make our dads proud. A dad who should, who should have been proud of you, that he got to call you son or daughter. I, I just want to free you of those expectations of trying to live up to that. Will Mancini puts it like this. He says, God will never hold you accountable to live up to the expectations of another person. That person will be personally accountable to God, and so will you. You are not a steward of someone else's opinion of you or dream for you, no matter how much they love you. And so I just want to set you free of that today. Some of you, that's what you're going to walk away with today. And I think that's beautiful for you to look to your father, not your dad, and to say, this is my identity and this is who I am. And so I want, I want, I want to free you of the false identity of the expectations of others. Third, um, it, this, is the, uh, this third false identity is the me that I'm paid to be, the captivation of money. This could stem from a lot of things. It could stem from this false idea that money buys comfort and comfort buys happiness. Or maybe because you grew up with a certain social status and you feel this pressure to maintain. Uh, maybe you grew up in poverty. Like, um, and again, actually, the scriptures are never against uh, making money and earning money. You read through the book of Proverbs and it's like, no, like we should be people who work hard. You read through the New Testament and it's constantly calling husbands and fathers to care for and provide for their families. And so the, the scriptures are not against this, but it, what it's against is the love of money to where that becomes your identity to where that becomes this, this calling of, and I'm, I'm going to say this a little bit harshly, but, but pretty intentionally, I just want you to hear this. Like, um, do not pimp out your calling for a paycheck. It is way too meaningful and too significant for you to sell what you're made to do, what you're created to do for a pay raise. Yes, earn. And, and that's valuable. And that's, um, that's meaningful but you are not what you have or what you make. Um, so I love Nolan. He is, uh, I love working with him. I love sitting under his teaching. Um, I love partnering together. Um, and, and he would never talk about this, but when um, you have no idea the battle he went through to be in the position he is today um, in this church, the sacrifices that he made personally, the sacrifices made um, in his family. Um, they were living in Oregon City, and he, he, t- he shares these stories, you know, these funny degrading stories about sharpening knives, right? And, uh, and uh, he, they moved. They moved basically in this apartment that was the size of a garage. Him, his wife, and Ollie, three of them, lived there for like a year, six months a year, and uh, worked t- to start a youth group. So he moved here close just to start a youth group. No pay, nothing. And uh, then we started paying him part-time, and so he actually picked up two side jobs, and he was constantly moving around trying to find these side jobs to pay for his family, but he needed side jobs that provided enough income, but also flexibility that he could launch this youth group off the ground and preach on Sundays and be involved. And I mean, he just was, he was constantly, constantly pouring out and sacrificing for this. And, And it reached a point where he had this moment where he had to decide, um, like, how do I move forward? Because he, at one point, he was offered a job by a bank to come become a banker. And it was a stable income. And it was, it was enough to pay for his family. And he was exhausted from pouring out and barely making ends meet. And I remember him meeting with me. And he was like, hey, man, I'm done. Like, I have to, I have to step out of youth group. 
like, I can't, I, I can't preach anymore. I can't be involved in these things anymore because I'm going to, I need to take this job as a banker to go provide for my family. And I remember sitting and just like, you know, and I just sat and I just prayed, Lord, like, what, what does this look like? What does this mean? Where do we go from here? And, and honestly, we met again and in tears, I just, I, I said, Nolan, can you just hold on a little bit longer? Like, can you just sacrifice a little bit more? Because I think like we're around the corner, right? And he said, all right, I will. What he didn't know is like, I had no idea we were, we weren't around the corner. I'm like, you know, I'm like, man, all right, Lord, like your will, your bill, let's provide. Right. Okay. I was prophesying, you know? Okay. And so, so here's, here's, here's what I did. Okay. Is um, we, I just, I, I said, Lord, how, how do we, how do we navigate through this? What does this look like? How do we, how do we move forward through this? And so um, I, I wrote a proposal. I put Nolan's picture at the top and I wrote this like job description of who he is and what he's going to do. And I was going to go meet with other churches to see if they would give us like a couple thousand dollars to like start this process of bringing him on. And uh, the first church I met with was a cornerstone here in Gresham. And I met with Barry Arnold and I said, Barry, like, um, we really want to hire this guy. And we're at the point where we either need to hire him or let him go. Um, but we're not there yet financially. Uh, could you give us some money? (laughs) And Barry in his heart that is way bigger than his own congregation said, man, we would love to, why don't you come preach at Cornerstone and then we'll take an offering and whatever that offering is, we'll, we'll give to your church. And so, um, I went and preached at Cornerstone and the next Sunday, uh, they gave an offering. It, It was like the service wasn't even over yet. And Barry called me so excited. He's like, man, I'm so fired up. Uh, he's like, we just received our largest, um, offering for something like this that we've ever received. He's like, our church just gave $25,000. Yeah. And I was like, man, that sermon must've been bomb. Yeah. This week. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but then Barry, he, in a way that only the gospel brings about generosity, um, Barry said, but for some reason, our elders felt like that was not enough. And so we're bringing a check for $45,000. I was like, I ain't paying him that much, man. Like, you know. <laughs> but what that did was um, that allowed to go, me to go have a conversation with Nolan um, in a week where Nolan was literally donating plasma to put food on his family's table to offer him a full-time job. Now, that's not a story that Nolan would share a lot, but I think it's important for us to understand because, look, Nolan is an incredible pastor, but he would be a terrible banker. (laughs) (laughs) And he has made significant sacrifices to walk in obedience of his calling. You will have distractions, things that are trying to pull you away from what God has for you but you need to walk in your calling. And here's the last one, the last false identity. Um, the me that lost my dream. And I call this settling for less. And the truth is some of us, our biggest temptation is succeeding in the things that don't matter. And you have settled. You have a burden in your heart. You have a passion in your bones, a fire in your belly, and you have quenched it. You have put it away. For something that much less, a much smaller dream. 
That's why C.S. Lewis says the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak because we settle for so much less. And I just want to encourage you to stop living for lesser things. And so what is our true identity? You guys, it's the me that God says I am. It's the, it's the me that God made me to be. And the most important work we do, can do in this life is to take the time to investigate what God has made you to be, how he has uniquely wired you. And so that's why we're taking the first two months of this year to say, no, let's stop. Let's reflect on God's word and what he has said about work and personality and giftings and wirings. And, and let's work our way through it. And, and so this is why we've been looking through at areas of story how we are shaped or, or gifted spiritually. What is our personality? What is our placement? Where, where has God put you in the world? What are the opportunities? Like this is what it means. We, because what you do should grow out of who you are. And so do the work. Be willing to embrace it. And, and, and two things I just want to call you to in that. One, man, I want to invite you again to join us for Wired Groups. We launched them last week, but you can participate any of the weeks that you're able to. This, this week, what we're doing is we're looking at work and we're looking at um, like personality and just kind of like uh, how you're wired as far as like physical gifts and, and what that, not spiritual gifts. We're going to get to that the following week. But I, but I want to encourage you to come and participate Sunday, uh, today at one o'clock or at six o'clock or, or Tuesday night, like we will make room for you. Um, because I think this is important for you to explore. If you're not able to join for that, please grab a wired booklet and, and start working your way through these things. Take the time right now. Even if you're like, no, like I know who I am, right? I'm a man, I'm 40, right? Okay. Like maybe you do, but hopefully this will clarify and, and hopefully this will be affirming and there may be some things that, that, that this moves you in. But if you're like, I don't know what this is, man, would you grab a wired booklet? And would you start working through that process? Because it, this is where it all culminates. And I'm going to end with this. Um, Ephesians 2.10 is what it says. It says, for we are his workmanship. That's what you are. Man, think about that. The, the divine creator of the universe. Unlimited brilliance and creativity has made you exactly the way you are. You are his workmanship. And you have been created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. This is what we spend our time doing here on earth. This idea of being created in Christ Jesus means your truest self, your calling, your meaning, your purpose it's being formed in and through the image and the picture of Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's what this life is. Being the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so each and every one of us, we're created and we're called in Jesus to live a life of purpose and significance, partnering with God and moving humanity forward. And so would we be a people who, yes, we look and we, and we say, what is God's creation? But ultimately we find our identity in Jesus because we are a new creation in him.
we are formed in him. And so what do you spend your time this week? Are you a nurse or a doctor or first responder? It's because you say, like, I'm wired to help people. Well, guess what? Jesus is the ultimate helper. Man, so fix your eyes on him and watch him in those things. Are you a teacher, a child care worker, or a parent? Well, Jesus had a pretty significant impact. He was the perfect example of what it means to love children. And so would we be people who look to Jesus? Maybe you're like, but I'm not anything yet. I'm a student. Well, guess what? Look to Jesus and how he learned. How he sat at the feet of teachers and grew in wisdom and stature. Maybe you're like, no, I'm beyond all that. I'm in the trades. Well, guess what? So was Jesus. He was a carpenter. And I guarantee no shoddy chairs or tables came out of that wood shop in Bethlehem. Am I right? Like he was, he was incredible at what he did. Maybe you're like, well, I'm outside of all that. I'm a bartender. Well, you know what? Jesus showed up the wedding at Cana and was like, craft cocktails, let's go. Right? <laughs> Whatever it is. That's probably heresy, but that's okay. <laughs> Here's the point. Whatever it is, look to Jesus. He is our perfect example. He is where we find our creation. He is where we find our identity and our purpose. And would we discover a vision for our lives, a, a, a direction, a way to go, a way to process that it unlocks the true and unique purpose in which we've been placed on this earth. earth. There are 7.84 billion people on this earth. And you are a unique story. Because only God's original creative genius could, could write that. And so would you discover what that means? And would a clarified calling, would it give you courage to boldly go after the things that the Lord puts before you? Because as you know it's not your voice driving you forward, it's his. And he says he's going to be with us the whole way. Lord, as we come to your word, would you continue to shape our minds how we view work and vocation around what you've said it is, that you've said it's good, that you've said it's a sacred entrustment of things that are precious to you, that you've called us to partner with you. And I pray as we uh, confront some of the ways we have gone off course and been distracted by these false identities, would we give those up today? Would we no longer chase after money or human approval or someone else's calling? But would our identity be who you say we are? Would we embrace our purpose and our gifting and our wiring, Lord? And may we do all of this with our eyes set on your son, Jesus, who perfected this life and is sitting down at the right hand of your throne interceding on our behalf with all the cloud of witnesses cheering us on as we press forward we pray all this in your name amen